March, the world has been managing the realities of life with COVID-19. For people with diabetes and the healthcare providers who support them, trying to figure out how best to manage is even more complicated. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to endocrinologist Dr. Alice Chang about diabetes and the coronavirus. Dr. Chang will be a plenary speaker at the upcoming CSEM and Diabetes Canada professional conference taking place October 27th to 30th. This year's event is virtual and healthcare providers from across the country and around the world will be gathering online to share the latest research on diabetes treatment and care. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chang. Thank you very much for having me, Krista. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to have you back. So to say the world has changed a lot in the last few months would be kind of an enormous understatement. So what are people with diabetes telling you that their biggest concerns are right now? Absolutely, you're right. I think that the world has been turned upside down. And in fact, I was chatting with someone the other day and they were saying how normally such and such wouldn't happen. And my response was there's nothing normal about 2020. So 2020 has been an exceedingly abnormal year. And specific to COVID-19 and what my patients living with diabetes have been telling me, uh, there's the, the usual things that everyone else has been affected by, including the job changes, their family changes, uh, learning to work from home, learning to have more people in the house at a given time and uh, living with each other, uh, but also a great amount of concern about their health and exactly what diabetes means in the context of COVID-19. And then as well, there is the return to school question, which has become very popular and definitely a source of many phone calls. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons for all of these questions is there's been so much conflicting information about the additional risk of COVID-19 and diabetes. And so do we have any greater sense of what's happening there? Are people with diabetes at greater risk? Well, now we've had many, many months, unfortunately, of COVID-19 and a lot of experience and a lot of data from various countries around the world. And I think what we can say with almost near confidence now is that those living with diabetes are not at increased risk of contracting COVID-19. However, if one were to get COVID-19, the risk of more complicated disease is higher in those living with diabetes. Those data now seem to be fairly consistent coming from different countries from around the world. However, it's not just diabetes. There are a number of other risk factors that have sort of bubbled to the top as things that uh, may mark someone at higher risk of more severe disease, with age being the most prominent, as well as the male sex, as well as increased BMI or obesity. Those three have also really risen to the top as significant predictors of who is at higher risk of more severe disease along with some others, but those others don't seem to be as, as significant as those top three. Okay, so if someone has had a lot of complications, maybe they've had a kidney transplant or they've had you know, some other situation that may put them at higher risk, then they probably wanna be taking a bit more extra precaution. Would that be fair? Oh, 100%, that's an absolutely true statement. And, and that's a true statement in general, right? So. Uh, those who are older, uh, those who have other comorbidities, other chronic conditions are at higher risk of more severe everything, 
uh, not just COVID-19, but specific to COVID-19, then absolutely, if someone's living with diabetes and has co other comorbidities and other complications, then yes, being extra careful is going to be important. And what are you telling your patients right now when they ask you how they can reduce their risk? So I always remind them of the things everybody ought to be doing. Everybody's not doing, but everybody ought to be doing. So such as social distancing, hand washing, like your life depended on it, and masking. So I think those three things, social distancing, hand washing, and masking are very important interventions that have been shown to reduce transmission of COVID-19. Probably because the most important thing one can do to protect themselves is to not get it. The other important thing to bear in mind specific to diabetes is to control the things that you can control. And glycemic control is one of those things that we always strive to achieve when managing diabetes. And although we cannot say with 100% confidence that a lower A1Cs, if you have a lower A1C and you get COVID, you'll do better. We can't say that perfectly. The evidence would suggest that that's probably the case. So if it's probably the case, then why not take advantage of that and control what you can, which is in fact the, the blood sugar component. The other piece to think about is also what if you were to get COVID-19, what do you need to do? And then that's where knowing your sick day management and knowing it well is going to be important. And that actually brings up another thought that I had had thinking about COVID-19 and diabetes. Are you noticing any changes in A1Cs as people are, you know, they're feeling more stressed, they're potentially being less active, things like that. Is that going to factor in? So that, that's a very interesting question, Krista, because we all kind of wondered what would happen. And I have to say near the beginning, generally speaking, people's blood sugars got higher for all the reasons you explained. Uh, there's also the banana bread issue. I think everybody and their cousin was baking. So that did not help the, the blood sugar situation. So I would say in the beginning of the pandemic, when I was making phone calls and contacting patients, it tended to be higher blood sugars. But I would say now it's actually, I'm seeing the opposite because I mean, good or bad, it, there's been a quite a bit of time that we've been dealing with this. So, at, at, so we've sort of learned to adapt and the stress levels have somewhat come down. Uh, people are taking advantage of the opportunity actually of being at home to cook and to learn to cook and to learn to grocery shop and, and to learn to not eat out all the time. And they may actually have time to do some more walking or to do some more exercise. So I'm actually interestingly starting to see the opposite and starting to see blood sugars in fact coming down because of the ability for people to focus on themselves. But in the beginning, absolutely, I would say everything was going up and now I'm actually beginning to see the opposite. That's a really great thing. Although I do think as school starts to go back and we all deal with the, should we or should we not send kids back to school? There may be some stress level um, induced A1C spikes, but um, that's one of the many questions I think everybody's dealing with right now. And I wanted to ask you, cause I'm sure you're getting this question a lot are you advising patients at all on, you know, if it's safe for their children with TUND to go back to school? That is, uh, that is a great question. And, and I get a lot of questions actually from my adult patients living with type one or type two who are teachers themselves. 
And the question I'm getting from them, is it safe for them to return to work? So it's actually, I think, a very similar conversation. So let me start more from the adult side of things. Uh, I, I think the key is to understand the work environment in which you're going to return. So is it one where you'll be provided with PPE, provided with a face mask, provided with face shield, uh, hand sanitizing? Will there be some attempts at social distancing? What will class size look like? Uh, is it a grade in which one can control things? So for example, I have a patient of mine who lives with type one diabetes and she is a kindergarten teacher. Now kindergarten is a whole other ball game in that it's very hard to get kindergarten students to maintain social distancing or to wear the face mask because they're kindergarten age students. So they're usually all over the teacher. So she really felt that the ability to maintain those three basic principles of social distancing uh, hand washing and face masking is going to be a challenge. So then it became a conversation she and I had about, you know, what what what's realistic and what can one safely do. However, for my other patients who are teachers of higher grade levels, the general consensus has been yes, you can go back to school as long as accommodations can be made to maintain those those three principles and to try to limit the class size. When it comes to the children living with type one diabetes. Now, I'm, I'm not a pediatric endocrinologist, so I don't tend to treat the, the little kitties. Uh, so that I would defer to the expertise of my pediatric endocrine, endocrine colleagues. But certainly amongst the adolescent group, um, the conversation has been those three principles, social distancing, hand washing, face masking, uh, and then uh, maintaining, sort of being smart about it. And when you get home from school, making sure that you're washing your hands and, and changing out of your clothes and things like that. And that's all really great advice. And I think it's like everything with COVID-19, we're learning a lot as we go. And so some of this, uh, you know, is changing daily and we're getting new information. So it's always good to keep that in mind. And another big switch that we've had lately is virtual care. And you've mentioned this a couple of times that you've been seeing some of your patients virtually. And so for people with diabetes who are used to coming into the clinic and having their A1Cs tested and getting blood work and all of those sorts of things, has this been a huge shift? And how have you found it in terms of the pros and cons? So I guess the, the one of the good things to come out of this terrible situation is that it has forced us to change the way we do things on a dime. And these are perhaps some changes we should have been making all along, but until we were pushed to do it, we weren't doing it. And one of those changes, I think, is this virtual care model, which has, I think, actually improved things for many people. And, and let me explain why. The, the ability for me to be in touch with my patients by phone, and I've been doing mine mostly by telephone, has really saved them tremendous amount of time in terms of not having to take time off work or school to come to my office not having to pay for parking, because that's definitely been a daily complaint I would hear about on a regular basis, and, and really being able for me to actually ask them some questions while they're at home, and they can run to the fridge and check out the expiry date of their glucagon kit. Like there's things that they can do because they're physically at home that I wouldn't have been able to do when they were in my office. So in some ways, there was actually a lot of benefit that has come out of this situation. But that's also because diabetes management is very much about history, i.e. the story, as well as the labs. And, and it is important to get the labs done. And we have been lucky in that the labs have remained open and that people can continue to get their blood work done. So when that has happened, it's been great. 
And it's also forced us to utilize our glucose monitoring technologies even better. And I have now the vast majority of my patients actually uh, downloading stuff on their computer or connecting to me remotely so that I can actually see their blood sugars, which again was not happening as much prior to COVID-19. So in some ways, I guess this is uh, some positives to take out of this current situation. I know for a lot of people that not having to, you know, take the subway or drive to their doctor's appointment has been a really great thing. What I've also been hearing is that they're a little nervous about going back when they do need to have an in-person appointment. Have things changed a lot in terms of how a patient, in-person patient um, visits are handled? And if so, how? So yes, they have definitely changed. Uh, when you do in fact go back to your respective doctor's offices, you'll notice A, a face mask is required, which makes sense. Uh, B, you'll notice that all the staff will be wearing face masks and likely the physician, uh, the nurses, et cetera, will also be wearing face shields. Uh, in, a, in addition, you're gonna see a lot more scrubs or uh, the sort of scrub uniforms being worn by people because I think uh, in the work environment, we prefer to be wearing those so we can change out of them when we get home. And then even the physical setup of the office is going to look different in that the waiting room, the chairs will be set further apart. At some offices, you're asked to wait in your car until you're called to come in. And then in the office itself, if possible, you'll notice that the, the physician will be sitting much farther away from you than they would have in the past. But they'll still obviously come up to you and do the physical exam as needed. So those are some of the changes that you're going to notice. The offices will not be as busy because we are spacing out the in-person visits more in order to allow time to clean the space between patients as well. However, the actual interaction with the team hopefully will not have changed. The, the human part of it should not have changed, but the, the outward physical appearance would definitely look different uh, in terms of how we're handling in-person visits. Well, I think that will bring people a lot of comfort knowing that there's so many precautions being taken if they do have to go in for an in-person appointment that they should feel a little bit more comfortable with that. Um, and I, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is, and I mentioned this a bit earlier, so things are changing all the time. We're getting new information. What we knew in March is very different from what we know right now. If people are looking for resources that they can trust, is there anywhere that they can turn to get that sort of evidence-based information about you know, what might be the right way to do things or what might be the safer way to do things? So I think our, our public health, so uh, the, the Health Canada Public Health Agency definitely is putting out appropriate uh, measured information on a regular basis and updating data quite frequently. Uh, your local public health units would also be providing that information. Uh, Diabetes Canada on the website also has some COVID-19 information. And uh, if you wanted to look outside of the country, there's also stuff from the CDC, the US CDC. Uh, and actually there's a site in the UK uh, from uh, Leicester, the, the Leicester group in the UK that has a whole website on diabetes and COVID, uh, which is also uh, excellent. So there are some trustworthy sources out there. Uh, I'm not sure that Facebook posts from total strangers are the place to go. So I, I really would suggest going to organizations that would have vetted the, the data. But bear in mind that things do keep changing. And, and I can understand how someone watching this would say, uh, would actually perhaps be fearful because, because we keep changing what we're saying. So then one conclusion is, be well, they don't know what they're talking about. 
And, and I, I get that. I, I, I can see where that comes from. And I guess my, my, only, my only words to that would be to say, it's because this, we're learning as we go. And that's how science works as well. As we get more information, we adapt to it. So therefore, it may seem like we don't know what we're doing, but in fact, it's, it's a situation of learning as we go and, and taking the best information available at the time. Yes, and, and that's really good advice, I think, because people just, you know, it can be super confusing when you have all of these different things coming through all the time and it seems to be changing day to day, but this is the first time we've had to deal with this, so it's good that we're able to update things accordingly. So I will thank you so much for being on the show today. It was wonderful to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This was great fun. And I'll thank everyone for listening. We really appreciate it as always. And as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Chang will be a plenary speaker at the upcoming CSEM and Diabetes Canada Professional Conference, which takes place October 27th to 30th. She'll be providing even more information about COVID-19 and diabetes to help support healthcare providers. You can learn more and register at diabetes.ca. If you have questions or comments about the podcast or this topic, please share them with Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca. You can also follow Diabetes Canada on all the social media channels. And if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for listening.